Hello, everybody. This is the ComingToAmericaBaseball.com podcast. I'm Philip Riccobono, and today is December the 7th in a snowy South Korea. We are coming to you from three different time zones. In Japan, Jason Koskri, sports uh, writer for the Japan Times, mostly covers baseball. And in New York, coming later on, Mike Nino Ninovaji. So sit back and let's go to it. Okay. I'm joined by Jason Koskri from the Japan Times. Uh, Jason, I see here you've written uh, quite a few articles for them. Uh, is it 877 somewhere? Yeah, 877 pieces for the Japan Times where he covers baseball. Uh, welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Um, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Let's jump right in. I know you don't have a lot of time. Uh, Shohei Otani. It uh, could be the next one, could be the, the you know, the next Darvish, but um, it started off like in October, I saw that he really wanted to come to MLB, but now he's talking with uh, the fighters and it seems like, you know, he may stay in Japan. What do you know about that? Yeah, it looks like he's, he's probably going to stay. It's, um, it was basically the fighters, the fighters drafted him. They took a shot the same way the Lions took a shot with, Kikuchi, in the same way the Lions took a shot with Daisuke Matsuzaka. And um, they signed him, they went and talked to him, and they pretty much, it seems like they've convinced him to stay by um, their manager, Hideki Kuriyama. He's a, he's a really progressive sort of guy, really down-home kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And instead of, you know, trying to bully him into staying, which it seems like is what happened with Kikuchi, Basically, Kuriyama went in and said, what do you want to know about the majors? And whatever he asked him about the majors, he told him. He said, what do you want to know about the fighters? And whatever he asked him, he told him. And they told him, we, we, we'll let you hit if you want to hit. We'll let you, we'll try to prepare you to go to the major leagues at a later date. And it seems like that tactic has worked and that Otani's kind of backed down and it looks like he's going to stay. So the manager there isn't really uh, so much of an old school bully type, you say. So are his practices more like MLB practices, or or just his psychology is different? It's more more of his psychology. He's he's a really smart guy. He's really he seems like a really genuine type of guy. He's not he's not as aloof as Hiramitsu Ochai was with the Dragons. And I think had had Otani been drafted by a different team. He may it may have just he may have doubled down on going to the states because they would have probably went in and tried to bully them in the game. Where whereas um, Kuriyama basically just said, "We know you want to go, and if you want to go, that's fine. We just want to talk to you." Okay, now Kikuchi really didn't pan out. I know he had a lot of injuries and things like that. What's what's the status of him right now? He's he's pitching. He he pitched for the Lions toward the end of the year. He got some starts. Uh huh. Um, Kikuchi panning out is some of that Kikuchi not being as good as maybe people thought he was, and a lot of that is just the Lions. I see. So a combination of the two, the Lions and Kikuchi, just not being uh, as talented as people thought. Uh, coming to the line right now, joining us from Long Island, New York, is uh, Mike Nino Ninovaji. Hey, Yo. how you doing? Yo. All right. All right. Can you talk for a minute? I got like two minutes. All right. Here we go. Hello, Jason. Hi. Okay, we got Mike Nino right here. Mike Nino, uh, Jason is my cousin, friend, spiritual advisor, and also a very successful varsity baseball coach. We were just talking about uh, 
Shohei Otani and Kikuchi. Kikuchi really didn't pan out. And Shohei Otani, you know, is that kid who throws uh, in the high 90s, 98, 99. Turns out Jason just told us that, that the manager of, uh, of the fighters, Nippon Ham fighters, uh, has gone with uh, less of a bullying approach and basically has told him everything he wants to know about the MLB. And it looks like he's going to stay in Japan. Uh, how do you feel about that, Nino? What's that? He's 18 years old. He's 18. You know, you coach guys like this. How do you feel about this? Well, again, going back to like we were speaking about the other night, if that's what, that, that he's a child, he thinks best for his maturity to get to the next level. If he needs a year or two there, it's probably the same concept as him coming here and pitching in the minor leagues and working his way up because he would never pitch in the major leagues as he is right now. So that's not a horrible way to go if he does mature there, gets better, and then he'll probably come up for 98, 99. He's going to you know, put himself in a marketable position. Jay, is that something that they've talked about to him, getting him prepped for a few more years and then sending him over like Darvish? Yeah, that, that was one of the one of the considerations that at least Kiriyama had said publicly that you know they would offer to help him prepare himself for the major leagues if, if in the end that's what he ended up wanting to do. Okay. Now you've got uh, another hot topic uh, over in Japan and in America is the uh, the posting rules may change. Uh, right now it favors the Japanese teams with this kind of a blind bid. Um, and MLB wants to change it and make it, you know, not a non-silent auction, a regular auction where everyone can see. Uh, how, do, how does Japan feel about that? How does the NPB feel about that? A league that's struggling financially, from what I understand, um, and, and MLB is just a cash cow. And it seems like just a case of the rich getting richer here, if, well, if, this, if it goes through. Well, NPB, more or less, is fine with the posting system. It, it pretty much it helps them in every way. The, the teams, at least, the players aren't as hot on it, but the, the teams themselves, there's no real incentive for them to to change it. The only incentive there would be for the teams to change it was that if if it was not a blind bid, you probably would guarantee that you'd have fewer posting failures as um, what happened with Iwakuma. But teams here are more or less pretty happy with it because they, they have the advantage. Well, MLB says that they want to, you know, put – more money into the players' pockets and less into the Japanese teams. If if that happens, I mean, uh, do you think Japan will then you know counter back and say, well, we're, no, you know, we're not going to do that, or we're going to make it more difficult for our players to go over to MLB? I don't think they'll make it more difficult because something like that is only going to lead to guys like Otani just skipping NPB altogether. I think the most the the thing that might happen, maybe the Japanese teams will agree to make it a non-blind posting, or maybe they'll agree to, because if it's a non-blind posting, the posting fees are going to go down anyway because everybody's going to know what everybody did, that kind of thing. So it's going to drive it down a little bit anyway. So um, I don't think that it Japanese drive, it, it could drive it up. I don't see it driving it up because more you're not going to blindly overpay for a guy that you may think you might get and you may not get it. Right, but on the other hand, it could turn into a bidding war if they really want him. Because I, I, would, I, would, I would suppose that even though it's blind, everybody knows about what it takes to get the guy anyway. I'm sure they're within 4 or $5 million when they're making those blind bids anyway. There's no way they're going in 
AKA blind on these guys with that much money. Well, a lot of them are, but the Matsuzaka posting was pretty significant. Although some of that was the Red Sox maybe trying to keep him away from New York, but for it could turn into a bidding war when you have guys like Darvish or guys like Matsuzaka. Although Matsuzaka before everyone knew what he was. So, but for the the run the regular run of the mill player, which is the most, this is going to be ninety percent of the posting system. I don't think it's going to turn into a bidding war with guys like Darvish. Yeah, it could, and it probably would. Hmm. Uh, one of the guys coming over from Japan already signed is uh, Fujikawa. He's going to go to the Cubs. Um, he's had, you know, he's got that rising fastball. He's got uh, good enough velocity for a closer. Where's he clocked at, Jason? Uh, Fujikawa down to about 91-ish. He hasn't been around 94 since in about six or seven years. I know he's had some injuries, too. Uh, is this a bit of a gamble for the Cubs? Uh, it's a bit of a gamble for the Cubs because Fujikawa has trouble keeping the ball down sometimes, and and Wrigley, that's not going to help. And Fujikawa's secondary pitches are kind of – well, his breaking pitches are kind of so-so. So that's a risk. If his fork ball is good, then he'll be he can be a pretty good pitcher. And he averaged about ninety one on this fastball. So it's it's a risk, but no more of a risk than Uehara was when he went to the Orioles. Okay, Nino, are you there? Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna have to get out in about a second, guys. Okay, one thing. Did you take a look at Fujikawa, and and do you think he can help the Cubs? Uh, I think what Jason says is accurate. I think that most of the time, it's like anything else. You're talking about guys with talent. It's got to translate into the big game. If he doesn't keep the ball down in America, he'll get whiplash. So, yes, with talent, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, there's a significant difference between 94 and 95 and 90-91 also. So if his velocity isn't as high as what you're saying, and he comes down and his, his reality is 90-91, his ball better move a whole bunch. It better definitely move him down with And that, of course, was Mike Nino. Okay, Jay, the uh, the next thing is the WBC. Um, and it's lacking some MLB talent. You know, you've got one guy, Kaz Matsui, who played in the majors, but there's no active MLB guys on that roster right, right no, now. Nobody. Yeah, so how does, how does Japan feel about that? I mean, are they just following with Darvish and, and – uh, and Ichiro are doing by not playing and just focusing on their, you know, their MLB careers. Yeah, partially. And the the timing of the WBC really hurt Japan as far as major leaguers this time around. With Dar- you can understand why Darvish wouldn't want to play. It's his first major league season. He's pitched more than he's ever pitched before, and then to shorten his spring that much more, you understand why Darvish is not going to play. That's because Matsuzaka is trying to find a new team. Ichiro is trying to find a new team, or at least find a new contract. Aoki's coming from his first trip to the States. Nakajima's trying to find a new team. Fujikawa's trying to find, well, he found a team, but he's preparing for his first trip to the majors. So I think that really hurt Japan as, as far as a lot of guys playing in the WBC because they want to maximize their value and they don't want to risk injury or risk going in having a shorter spring, which is going to adversely affect them. I think had the WBC been maybe two years later and guys have been established a little bit more than they all would probably play. Um, I mean, do you, how, what do you think of the roster? Is it a, is it a, I know it's a pretty young roster. Maybe they can catch lightning in a bottle or maybe that, you know, they're just, they're hungrier and they want, they're out to prove something because of the, 
you know, everyone's saying, oh, there's no MLB guys. Have you spoken with any of the players, and are they maybe out to prove something, or is it just too early? I know that, you know, we're still three, four months away from this. I think Japanese players in general, they're going to go out and they're going to they're gonna work hard. They're going to give it their all. I think that um, the as far as the roster goes, it is a very young roster, but there's there's a lot of talent on it. Hayata Sakamoto is a great shortstop. Uh, you've got Ibada, who's who's a veteran. You've got Yuichi Honda, the second baseman for the SoftBank Hawks. You've got another veteran in, um, I'm sorry, uh, Atenori Naba, Yoshio Itoi out in right field is a great, great all-around player. So there is talent on the roster. Um, as far as lightning in the bottle, I think if they can, if they can make it to America and face one of the teams in the other pool, I think that would be interesting because Japanese teams are used to cranking it up in February. They're used to starting early. They really don't give themselves that much of a break. So they're going to be a little bit more in game form than maybe the American team is going to be, maybe the Venezuelan team is going to be, that kind of thing. So I think if they make it out of the pool round and to the, to the semifinals or the finals, they're going to have a really good chance. The problem is going to be facing the Korean team, who is just as ready as Japan, and the WBC is just as important to them as it is to the Japanese team. And then facing the Cuba team, who Japan just beat twice, but that wasn't the real Cuba. They didn't bring their A squad? They didn't, they didn't really bring their top pitchers, at least, from what I've heard. There's um, there's a few guys, other guys, I think three others who, you know, free agents from Japan, uh, who I spoke to you about earlier, and they were in Sports Illustrated. And what, what's going on with them? Can you talk about the three other free agents besides Fujikawa? Well, Nakajima's looking for Hiroyuki Nakajima with the Seibu Lions. He's looking for a team. It looks like the uh, the Diamondbacks have been in on him pretty early, and they've talked to him. And the A's, I've read, that have had some interest in him, especially if they need some help on the infield. Um, it's, some Japanese reporters have said that you can't rule the Yankees out, especially with um, A-Rod's situation now. Yeah. The fact that Nakajima would be he could he can play third he can grade. Play he can third. play third. Yeah. He can play short. He can play second. He can spell Jeter. He can spell Cano. He can fill in when A Rod's not there, or if you need A Rod to DH, he can fill in for A Rod at third base. So he could be a really intriguing option to play for New York. But I think if there was a leader, it'd probably be the Diamondbacks. But Nakajima, I I listened to uh, Jim Allen's uh, podcast and. Uh, could be a bit cynical at times. I don't know if you know him, but uh, he pretty much says it like it is from what I can gather. He said that Nakajima is a very likable guy and I think versatile too, but not the sharpest tool in the shed. That was his quote. Um, you know, I don't know why he would say that. Does he make a lot of errors or, you know, wh why would he say something like that? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I know Jim. Jim's, Jim's a very good friend of mine. Jim is extremely, extremely knowledgeable. You know, he knows his stuff. That I, I mean, I don't. You'd have to ask Jim of why he said that. Um, Nakajima is a very personable guy, though. He, I don't think the the lifestyle, I don't think the culture is going to affect him as much as it may affect some other guys. Just because he he's such an open guy, he's such a likable guy. He's he's not quite as energetic as Munenori Kawasaki, but he's that kind of personality, and I think he fit well in the MLB clubhouse. Is he is he like um a, a Nick Swisher or? That would be pretty good comparison. Yeah. He, he may not be he may not joke around as quite as much as Swisher, but yeah, he's he's an extremely personable guy. 
Okay, moving on to uh, something else here. I, what I want to talk to you about is, and I've had thoughts about this for a while, there's been a lot of duds and studs both ways in Japan and out of Japan coming to MLB, but let's, let's just keep it in Japan. One dud I have in mind is Brad Penny. Uh, and then there's guys who come over there and sort of like reinvent themselves and, uh, you know, turn it up and then they're maybe even able to come back to MLB. Um, who could you think of in terms of duds and studs in the last few years who went over to Japan from MLB? Oh, man. Um, I know uh, Patrick Newman of MPB Tracker actually just wrote an article on his site about that very topic. And he, he has this great long list of guys who came over and, well, most of them were duds, actually. But, um, yeah, he, he really delved into the topic. Well, I know uh, a lot of people focus on Brad Penny. And and with Penny, it a lot of Brad Penny was probably attitude. Because you, you can't – you have to have the right mindset to play in Japan. You can't – you can have all the talent in the world. And if you don't have the right mindset, it's just going to bring you down. You're going to hate your experience, and it's going to show in your play. Yeah, it's not and, it's not America. Right, and I think that really brings a lot of guys down, just the culture, the everything about being in a foreign country, the baseball is different, wondering why guys aren't challenging you 3-0, why they're throwing you a breaking pitch and things like that. And if you don't have the right attitude to do things, not necessarily the Japanese way, but to at least give yourself some leeway between what you learned in the States and what they're trying to ask you to do in Japan – you're not going to make it. Like, Merton came over here very open-minded, and he succeeded that first year. And then you have guys like Brad Penny, who came over here very, it seems very closed-minded. I honestly didn't have much interaction with Brad, so this is just a lot of hearsay. But it seemed like he just was not never happy from the beginning, was very closed-minded. It was, it was almost like maybe he was coming to Japan to reinvent himself, to show MLB teams he still had it. And when you're coming over here to do something like that, you're, a lot of times you're going to fail because you're not here for the right reason. You're not open. You're not trying to change the way you do anything. You're not changing your philosophy. You're just trying to find a place to play on a high enough level to get noticed, and that's not going to work. Well, and, and on the other side of things, you know, Bobby Valentine kind of reinvented himself in Japan and then came back here and turned into a dud. Yeah, but I think a lot of that, you, you could kind of see that from the beginning. I if you read a lot of the press clippings, they told the players we're not going to hire a Bobby Valentine type of manager, and then they hired Bobby Valentine himself. And it just doesn't seem that it that didn't really seem like a good match. I mean, I'm sure Bobby has has a lot of blame in that, but I wouldn't totally put that on Bobby. I think that was a a bad situation. I didn't. I was kind of skeptical about it working out from the beginning, and. But, I mean, when a team like the Red Sox call, comes calling, you listen and a lot of times you say yes. But that situation, I think, is a bit unfair to Bobby. Not that he's totally blameless because I'm sure he had yeah. there's some blame to go around. Well, I think he came in to kind of, like, straighten out the clubhouse. And it's pretty tough to straighten out MLB guys coming at, you know, trying to bully him. I, I don't know if he bullied them, but they weren't really too happy with him from the very yeah. beginning. And I would imagine that I would imagine that he didn't bully them, but he's he's more of a disciplinarian than Francona was, and you have a clubhouse that's had success doing things the way that they were doing things, and then you have a total 180, a different manager coming in. He's he's an outsider basically. He's trying to not crack the whip, but maybe it seems like he's cracking the whip, 
and you've already got a clubhouse that has been publicly portrayed as dysfunctional and you know they see this outsider coming in who's going to clean everything up and there's there's a resentment there and Francona was was very like so of course there's going to be a, a little bit of a resentment there and maybe Bobby's personality didn't help but I don't think that situation is something that can be pinned even in the majority on Bobby. Jason do you have a few more minutes or you got a roll? Uh, I'm good for a few more. Okay um, as you know I'm doing a documentary entitled Fighting Cheering in Korea. It's about the baseball fans here in Korea and how different they are from baseball fans anywhere in the world. Have you gone to a game here in Korea? I've never been to a game in Korea yet. I've seen a few on like videos. I've yeah. never been to a game. Oh, you need to get over here because you know in Japan when I first went over there in O two, I felt like wow, this is like a World Series atmosphere. Everybody's on the edge of their seats. You've got guys with trumpets, um, you know, brigade cheers and stuff like that. But here, you actually have like professional cheerleaders and songs and thunder sticks going. And and the teams actually hire people to like kind of control or not control the crowd, but you know get the crowd organized in their cheers and things like that. It's just an unbelievable atmosphere. But were you a little bit blown away by the Japanese fans when you first got there? I was because a, a lot of the same things, you know, the Owen Don, they're all they're organized, they're connected, they you know they they're at every game, they have all the cheers organized, they have all the hand motions organized. Sable even has a chair where they get up, run a little, run a couple of steps, do a, something, and then run back. So, yeah, I w it was very, it was an eye-opening kind of thing. I, and plus, I wasn't really expecting it. I read, I'd read Bob Whiting's book, The Meaning of Ichiro, but you know, I really didn't know much about Japanese baseball when I came here. So, yeah, it was pretty, pretty eye-opening. So can you talk about a little bit how you wound up in Japan? I mean, you're an, you're an American guy like myself and, you know, knew a little bit about Japanese baseball, did some reading, but and you, how, did you, how did you wind up over there? Um, I, I saw a job at one day, and I, I'd had a little interest in Japan, and I'd applied for the JET program to come teach English here, but I didn't make it. And um, I was working at a paper in Georgia, the Marietta Daily Journal, for a great guy named John Bentnerowski. And um, one day I was surfing the internet and found a, a job at job listing for the Japan Times, and I just applied for it. Just I don't know, I really don't know why even to this day. And um, they actually called me, and the rest <laughs> is history. It's great. You you think you're a lifer there, or you may come back to the states and write again? I don't know. I mean, I would love to come back to the states, but I love Japan, so I'm pretty much just I just take it year by year. After every year, I just sit down and try to think about what I want to do and the last four years I've decided that I wanted to stay here and after net this year I think I'm going to stay here again so we'll see where the future takes me well good did you have anything else to add what are you um, what are you working on right now your next story can you talk about that I'm right now I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with uh, Otani right now it seems like he's coming back and most everyone thinks he's coming back but you know, like like your cousin said, he's an 18-year-old kid. Who's to say he's not going to change his mind and say, I do want to go to the majors in the next couple of days. So I want to I want to see what's going to happen with Otani. I think he's going to stay, and I think that it's a lesson to Japanese teams in the future to not try to bully these kids. I think they got lucky with Kikuchi because there's a lot of pressure on him, and he I don't want to say he folded, but he gave in a little bit, and I think – 
with Otani, he seemed like, especially as forceful as he was about his announcement, if they had tried to exert that sort of pressure on him, it probably would have made him double down on his his goal to go to the majors. But I think the way Kiriyama approached it, basically telling him, look, if you want to go to the majors, we're not going to stop you. All we want to do is talk to you, give you all the information you want to know. And I think they put him in a position of power, and it seemed like he appreciated it, and maybe he felt like they actually did care about his well-being. And let's not think the fighters are all altruistic because they stand to gain a lot by having this kid on the team, on the field, and in in their pocketbooks. But I think the way they went about it, not so heavy-handed, is what kept him here if he does indeed stay. And I think that's a lesson for a Japanese team. Mm. Interesting. Now, they also offered him uh, number 11, Darvish's number. They did. Yeah, so that has to sweeten the pot a little bit. It It, it is. It's, it's kind of ironic, though, because numbers are big here. The number 18 is the ace number, and they tried to offer that to Darvish, and he told him that he didn't really care. It was just the number. So it's, it's kind of funny that they're using a number to sweeten the deal for this kid when Darvish himself said it was just the number that he was given, and he didn't really care. Do you know if he's reached out, to, uh, if Otani's reached out to Darvish or any MLB players to kind of get the, their opinion on things? Um, I haven't heard if, if he's done anything like that or not. Well, Jason, uh, really appreciate everything you brought to the table today here on ComingToAmericaBaseball.com. Um, I want to let my listeners know uh, about how we can get in touch with you. Uh, you can get in touch with me. The, I guess the easiest way is through Twitter. I'm on at Jay Koskiri or send an email to the Japan Times on any of our stories. We have an email link. You can catch me there, but the easiest way is probably on Twitter. And that's J-C-O-S-K-R-E-Y? Correct. At Twitter, okay. Jason, thanks a lot. I'd love to have you back on again. I know you press for time. and uh, Stay warm. It's snowing here in Korea. I don't know what it's doing in Tokyo, but... Um, but it's cold. Okay. Well, enjoy yourself, and thanks a lot. Thanks. All right. Take care, Jay. You too. Bye-bye. One little note here from the KBO in Korea. Uh, the SK Wyverns have signed uh, middle reliever Chris Seddon, who last played uh, this past year with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, he has no saves in three years, three not three consecutive years, but three different years uh, in the majors. Looks like he's going to be a middle reliever, um, setup guy. I don't know. Maybe they'll convert him to a closer. Uh, but we'll wait and see what happens with uh, Chris Seddon. Wait a minute. What's that? Is that a clock ticking? It sure is. That's a clock ticking on Ryuhyun Jin, Scott Boris, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. They have the next few days to come up with an agreement. Or Ryuhyun Jin does not go to Los Angeles. He will remain a Hanwha Eagle. So... I hope it gets done. Um, it's not like the ball's not rolling. The Dodgers sent an offer over to Ryu's camp, and Boris uh, countered back with a long-term deal and a short-term deal. Initially, they said uh, Ryu's side that the deal came in a bit short. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, that will wrap up in the next few days, and uh, hope to put a podcast together um Right at the right at the wire, right after it, to see what exactly happened with Ryu Hyunjin. Uh, it will be good for baseball, though, for both sides, KBO and MLB. KBO will be showcasing their best talent. Maybe 
The MLB will start looking over here in Korea for more and more talent. And uh, it would be great for the Korean-American uh, community in the United States, especially in Los Angeles, the largest Korean-American um, contingency. Um, so it's going to happen one way or another. Uh, the deadline is looming. Ryu wants to go. I think the Dodgers uh, need the starting pitching, especially if they don't get Zach Greinke. But if they get Zach Greinke, well, then, you know, that could change things. Maybe Ryu won't come here. Or there, actually. I'm in Korea. Okay, so that'll do it for this episode of ComingToAmericaBaseball.com. I want to thank, uh, as always, Mike Nino Ninavaji, the ever-colorful uh, sidekick of mine. No, actually, he's not a sidekick. He's a co-host. Uh, Jason Koskri from the Japan Times, who gave us a lot of great information on what's going on in Japan uh, regarding their players, uh, the WBC team. Um, to get in touch with us, you could go to www.comingtoamericabaseball.com. Um, on Twitter, it's coming to AMRBB. Coming to AMRBB. Um, and you can go to iTunes now and to the iTunes store and uh, subscribe to the Coming to America Baseball uh, podcast. So that'll do it from snowy South Korea. Uh, enjoy your evening or your day wherever you are and we will see you down the road. Thanks a lot.